This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Hi, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is our Sunday Morning Extra, a podcast featuring a memorable story from our latest show. Mandy Moore is a singer and actress who's riding high these days after a number of years of ups and downs. She's in conversation with Luke Burbank. It sounds like you were a pretty precocious kid when it came to, like, performing and stuff, and you even sort of were talking your parents into, into driving you places and letting you do yeah. all of, you know, sing national anthems and stuff. Like, what were, what were you like as a little kid? <laughs> I think I was far more precocious as a kid than I am now, for sure. I mean, it's just sort of the fearlessness that comes along with being a young person, not knowing the stakes out in the world yet. Um, I was really lucky to go to a school that had a music and drama program, and every year the sixth graders put on this big production at, like, the touring auditorium where all the touring Broadway shows came through. And the I remember being six years old and seeing Oklahoma, and I'd never seen a musical before. I'd never seen a play. And I remember the girl who was playing Laurie singing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, and I was mesmerized. And I remember turning around in my seat and watching the audience, who was equally mesmerized by her, and thinking, I want to do that. I want to make people feel that way. Like, that's my first time recalling, like, making that connection between, like, oh, 
being on stage, opening your mouth, singing, like that can have that sort of effect on people. And from then on, I would like run around the house singing The Little Mermaid, mm -hmm. singing Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, asking my parents if I sounded as good as the girl on stage. And that kind of led me into wanting to do musical theater. And by the time I was about eight or nine, the Orlando Sentinel used to have this audition hotline. Um, that every Friday I would call before school and it would give you like all of the auditions and like the at the local community theaters around town for the coming week. And I would sort of like write down with my pencil and paper before school like what ones sounded appealing, what ones were looking for children my age. So you're essentially like representing yourself as a like what eight year old kid in yeah. Orlando? I was essentially my own agent at age eight. And my parents were kind enough to drive me all across town to various different <laughs> auditions and that sort of was a very separate part of my life um like being a musical theater nerd was not something I brought to school necessarily I wanted to and then I sort of transitioned into doing like local commercials and stuff and all of that I felt like I was living dual lives in a way because I oddly was always concerned with people thinking that I was conceited and I didn't, and I was a really shy kid. I don't think I stood out, like, in school with my friends and stuff. I sort of was just very plain in the middle. And I, I just didn't want to bring extra attention, I guess, to myself. Which is interesting because also you had this desire to be on stage having yeah. people pay attention to you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, somebody who was, like, teaching at some, I don't know, drama or music camp that you went to, I think was described, read an interview where they described you as being, like, you know, a talented performer, but not somebody who was constantly trying to be the center of attention. I think that's a very apt description and probably is still fitting for today. Really? I love what I do. I feel like I, I'm sort of electrified coming on stage or being in front of the camera when, like, you know, the red light is on. But beyond that, I'm very happy to sort of, I'm quiet and content and happy to not be the center of attention. I think that's called a site-specific extrovert. A site-specific extrovert. I'm I'm gonna describe myself as that from now on. I love that. Yeah, I love like that. you you turn it you turn it on when you turn it on, but it, you don't want that to be like 24 hours a day of your life. Yeah, I that feels too exhausting to me. So, how did you become like Orlando's number one national anthem singer? I don't know if I was Orlando's number one national anthem singer. Might have been like self-described that way. Um, I was a little kid. And we were at an Orlando Magic game, and I remember seeing a girl my age come out and sing the anthem. And again, it was this epiphany to me. Like, I didn't know that was a possibility. I didn't know you could sing the national anthem as a kid. I'd always seen, like, adults do it. So I begged my parents to get me a little pitch pipe, and they <laughs> recorded me. And then my mom, so the story goes, hand-delivered this, like, you know, VHS cassette of... Uh, me singing the national anthem with fresh baked cookies. And I think that's what, like, solidified everything for me. I got the gig. I got to sing the national anthem at the Orlando Magic game. And then, oddly, every other sports team that played in the arena there, the roller hockey team, the arena football team, the ice hockey team, I ended up singing for all of them. I just did the national anthem circuit at the Orlando arena. Would you get nervous before these? So nervous. So nervous because th that song is an entire octave. It's a challenging song to sing. And I was always petrified that I was going to forget the lyrics. You know, because you've seen those, those horror stories of people that, <laughs> that yeah. did forget the lyrics. So that was always what I was most concerned with. One thing I also heard you say one time in an interview was that a lot of the stuff that you did when you were younger 
even when you ended up, you know, with a major label and stuff, you were sort of more confident about it than 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 you would be now. About like as a kid, were you just like a naturally sort of confident kid, or you just didn't know what you didn't know? It's funny to think back to that chapter of my life as a young person. I was totally fearless. I would walk on stage opening up for the Backstreet Boys in front of twenty thousand screaming girls with glow sticks and not think anything of it. Be excited, be sort of supercharged about what I knew I was about to experience, but um, not nervous. Host a show on MTV, do TRL Live out in Times Square, all of that stuff. Um, I remember just the excitement bubbling up, but never feeling nerves the way that I feel nerves now, which is pretty much all the time. Not that I'm racked with anxiety, but, you know, I'm a 35-year-old woman. It's like I understand what the stakes are if you mess up. So I, I think... I, I wish I could like tap back into my youth and steal some of that confidence. Yeah. So let's also, uh, if you could explain to me how this FedEx employee, I know, played a role in in your actually getting like a record deal. Yeah. So I was singing the national anthem at an ice hockey game. At a roller derby. At a roller derby, as one does. And I was approached as I was walking off the ice to my dad sitting in the penalty box by these two guys who sort of called us over and said, hey, have you ever had any experience in a recording studio? We're writers and producers, and we'd love to record a demo with you, which in hindsight is probably the shadiest thing two grown men could say to a 14-year-old, but... Um, my, we all sort of had this like conference and talked about it. And I said, yeah, I've, I've never been in a studio. That's something I dreamt about. Like, sure. Absolutely. So I ended up going to the recording studio using my own money to like pay for time in the studio. And these guys had original songs that I recorded and a guy who was delivering boxes for FedEx heard me sing and he had some friend of a friend of a friend of a friend up the chain who was the head of A&R at Epic Records and like managed to send this unfinished demo off to this guy uh, and he heard something he liked and flew down to Orlando and my favorite thing about that whole experience was I had just started my freshman year of high school and I... <laughs> <laughs> had this big meeting with this like A&R executive from New York and we we like they had booked out the studio space for me to meet with him and then I was supposed to sing something live for him which I chose a song called Happily Ever After from a musical called Once Upon a Mattress. It's not getting less sketchy. It's not getting less sketchy, but I sang the song for him and I remember like looking at my watch thinking I have to get out of here in time to make my homecoming football game. Like that's where my brain was. Really? I didn't think anything this meeting was cool, but in my brain it was like what is this going to amount to? Like it's cool this guy flew down from New York to hear me sing, but I I just was so much more focused on being a regular 15-year-old that wanted to go to the football game. But then he did sign you, and Zenny. then you moved to New York, and you or, or I, you stopped going to high school. Like, your life really changed at that point, right? My life changed dramatically. Uh, I left during the holiday break that year and started making my record in New York and in Orlando, where I lived, um, in January. And by June... I was out in L.A., I made the music video for my first single, Candy, and flew immediately the next day to Virginia Beach, Virginia, where I started the NSYNC tour. So, and that was it. That was just sort of like, January to June was a very pivotal time in my life because I was making the record, but also things would never be the same after that. Do you think you were aware of that 
at the time? Like, did you understand the gravity of what was actually happening to you? No, I had no idea the gravity of the situation. I knew that my parents were worried. I mean, my dad is an airline captain and my mom is a stay-at-home mom. And we all sort of like jumped into this experience together, but nobody knew what was going on. I mean, thankfully, like they understood, like, we're not going to, we know nothing about the industry. We don't want to manage you or anything. We'll just be mom and dad. And I had at least one of them always by my side, like traveling around at that age. But I think I could sense their hesitation and trepidation about the unknown but I was just so excited about like every little thing that happened you know it was like a new song that I was presented that I got to record and um you know a photo shoot a first like photo shoot like all that I was a 15 year old girl so like every single little thing was just the coolest experience for me you were obviously really successful with this stuff but you weren't like Britney Spears successful was that kind of lucky so lucky I think about that often. I I never achieved the degree of success that some of my contemporaries did, and it allowed me so much more freedom to, A, continue, well, to find the music that I wanted to do and have a hand in writing and creating, and because there wasn't that sort of expectation, like, you've had hits, you have to deliver more hits. Um, but also it allowed me to branch off into the, you know, the acting world and to film and television in a way that, because I wasn't, as famous, I didn't have as much notoriety. People could sort of let me disappear into a part a bit more than some of my contemporaries, which, you know, is, I consider myself really lucky. Was there a point where you started to think, oh, I'm actually an actor who sings? Sure. I think I became aware after a while of that that was probably the perception out in the world of me, and still probably to this day, which is fine. Um, Again, I I have sort of leaned into the idea that it allows me to continue making the kind of music that I want to make because there isn't that same sort of expectation. Like, I made a pop record in the way I wanted to, like, my definition of pop music. And maybe that wouldn't be the case if I had, you know, a ton of musical success and I was a musician who acted. So at this point, because of This Is Us and a lot of the films you've done, there is a big part of the population that really knows you from your acting. Sure. But you're saying that internally you identify as a singer who's just doing this acting thing to pay the the bills. (laughs) But you're primary kind of self-identifying as a singer? I identify as a singer, as a musician first, for sure. If somebody told me I had to make the choice, I love both. I feel creatively fulfilled very differently by doing both. And I think that's why... I've really had this yearning for music for the last decade because it hasn't been a part of my life and there's just been this completely unfulfilled, un- untapped side of me um, that now I'm, you know, celebrating and acknowledging. What are you hoping that your music is doing? Like, what's your goal with it? I hope that my music helps people, changes their mood, uh, lifts their spirits, you know, sets them on a better course for the day. I don't know. I hope they're able to read into it and maybe draw some comparisons to their own life and find some catharsis in that. Everything that sort of, what music serves for me, for all of us, you know? But definitely, definitely just finding that connection. I hope people listen to the lyrics and feel like, ah, I've been in that situation before and I think I'm going to be okay. Someone else is singing and they've clearly made it out to the other side and I'm going to be good. Did you actually offer to refund people the purchase price of your first record? 
I did say that. I was very vocal about that uh, early why? on in my I life. Mean, like, uh, I was listening to that record actually coming down here to do the interview, and I think it's a perfectly serviceable pop record from that era. <laughs> That is a very apt description. It is a serviceable pop record from that era. I mean, I I joke, and I joked then, although I was probably more serious about it years ago. I think, you know, any, any reflection back on who you were, what you did when you were a teenager, as you've gotten some distance from it, especially, like, not too far after that, like, you know, five or six years away, I'm like, who was that? What, what were those choices she was making? I think I felt defensive because I didn't have a lot of creative control and was like, guys, if you think that's me, it's not. It wasn't my choice. Like, I'm really sorry about that. If I could, I'd, I'd give you your money back. But again, now that I have 20 years distance from it, I realize that I'm negating someone's connection with that, someone's nostalgia. They're able to think back to when they were a teenager, and they maybe loved that record, and there's nothing wrong with that, and who am I to naysay it? And... I think that it can only come with, like, the wisdom of and clarity that comes along with getting older and realizing, and this has been a big part of this record for me, too, is that, that idea of self-reflection. I love that girl. Not to get emotional, but, like, that girl is, she's in me still. She's the reason I'm here talking to you. Like, I have so much affection and respect for her. At 15, navigating a crazy adult world, the way that I was able to, like, I, so I, I, I'm able to look back now with affection for that music and kind of smile and go, well, it's maybe not for me, but I, I don't want to, to slander it for other people at this point. Yeah. If this were a therapy session, we would say you're attending to yourself, which is really <laughs> very, positive. Very true. Yes. From what I've read uh, and also heard you talk about a little bit was the marriage that you were in yes. to Ryan Adams. Yeah. And, and the way that you felt that that really stalled your kind of musical progression and momentum. What do, you, what do you feel happened there? Like, I was at a point in my life where I was the most comfortable making myself this, the least priority. And I made myself as small as possible in order to make somebody else comfortable. And once I sort of removed myself from that situation and realized that that was never going to serve me or be healthy... Um, and ultimately give me the life that I knew I deserved, I, things changed exponentially. The world just opened back up again. And it took some time. It took a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of healing and a lot of self-reflection and making sense of how I found myself in that situation, how to never find myself in that situation again. Um, but also there was so much to unpack. It really destroyed my relationship to music. It destroyed Ugh, now I'm going to get emotional. It, dest- it destroyed my sense of self. It destroyed my belief in who I was as a musician and as a singer. So I think once I removed myself from that and gave myself time to heal from it and realize the strength and the power that I bring to any situation, I've been doing this now for so long. Once I dropped those bags, I realized the power that I had and I just haven't looked back. And to me, this record is joyful and it's a celebration and it's about momentum forward. I'm so sick of looking in the rearview mirror. I did so much of that for too much of my life. Um, and, uh, I'm just excited now that I feel like this fully realized part of me 
is what I'm able to show people when it comes to being a musician and it comes to being a singer. And I just think it's it's so reflected in what I'm doing now. So I was asking you just kind of like about how it feels to be back. Be back on stage. Yeah, and singing yeah. with a live band and yeah. just being kind of like in that in that space. I mean, it definitely, being back on stage, it definitely feels like I'm working out after I haven't been to the gym in over a decade. Now <laughs> this like, is something Whoa. I can relate to. <laughs> I've been dreaming about doing this for so long, um, since I met. Taylor about being able to go out on the road and play music together. So for the dream to be actualized now is kind of blowing my mind. When I was a kid, I'd go and open up for NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys or I'd do some radio station concert and you're playing, what, five or six songs? Like, that's not a real set. That's not actually touring. So I still feel like in many ways I've never, I'm doing something I've never really done before um, and it's not my day job. So it's an incredibly vulnerable experience, but because of that, it's like I'm elated when I get off stage. It feels, I feel high. Like the adrenaline rush is unlike anything you could possibly experience. Would you say that the success of the TV show has really allowed you to kind of restart your music career? Because the music can be something that I think, I assume, you don't have to pay the bills with the music. Yeah. There's not this pressure on it of, like, yeah. it's this or the Quiznos. This or the Quiznos. You know... <laughs> Which would be, you know, a great name for an album. I'm just saying, consider <laughs> it. Basically, your first video or an early video, they tried yeah. to have you do some dancing, and they yeah. realized that was not your uh, Forte. S- strong suit. It was not my strong suit. And quickly after that, they're like, you could just sing. That was the word back from the record label. Like, just sing. Just You can stand there and sing. If you want to, like, move around a little bit, that's fine. But no choreography. What is your vibe on stage these days? I mean, I move around. Like, I feel the freedom to move around. No choreography. Other than having lots of people come out and have a good time, like, what are you hoping comes of all of it? Like, what would make this a success in your mind? That's a really good question. I haven't thought too much about that. I think I'm excited to be able to stand on the other side of it and go, I did it. I've had this dream for the last, you know, God, over a decade of taking my music out with the band and singing music that I'm really proud of and excited to share with people. The fact, again, that I get to do it with, like, my family and my husband at my side is more than a dream come true. So I think just the idea of, like, I want to stay present. I want to appreciate it while it's happening. Considering everything you went through with your previous marriage yeah. and just your music, I mean, to realize that you came out the other side of it, I mean, that's going to be intense, I guess. I think it's going to be intense, yeah, to just reflect back on, I'm 35 and I've been doing this since I was 15, 20 years of having a career, like all the successes, all of the failures, everything in between, there's a lot to, there's a lot to take stock of and, uh, and it will be emotional, I think, for some of those like very specific shows, being in Chicago, being in Nashville at the Ryman, being here in the hometown show, obviously, in, in L.A. Um, just the fact that I'm still able to do it and that there's still an audience out there. You asked me earlier if I was aware of like what my life was going to sort of be like as a kid when it kind of shot off like a rocket. And I wasn't, but I... I, I, I I had big dreams, but, like, my biggest dream was longevity, which is a weird thing as a young person to be aware of. It's very practical. I guess so. But it's like I just knew I was like, I love this feeling so much. I want to be able to do it for as long as possible. And I looked at people like Bette Midler 
It wasn't Madonna for me. It was Bette Midler. Like, because I knew she did Broadway. She did movies. She did TV. She was, she had a family. Like, she kind of did it all, and she was a household name on her own terms. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.